What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the I'm Tell Like a T.I.S. podcast with your host, yours truly, Josh. yo has got a good show here for you on the final weekend of March 2021, uh, the, to the exact date, March the 27th on a Saturday. Hope you all are doing well out there uh, in podcast land, wherever you may be, however you may be listening. Going to preview Sweet 16 matchups in the, uh, as the NCAA Tournament March Madness resumes uh this afternoon, uh, get into the Ravens signing former Chiefs wide receiver Sammy Watkins, giving my two cents on Deshaun Watson and that whole fiasco. I've yet to uh, say anything about that situation down in Houston, and I'll give you my two cents on uh, some teams that traded draft spots on uh, Friday as far as the 2021 NFL draft is concerned. But first things first, we start with the college basketball in Sweet 16. Uh, the Sweet 16 Elite Eight, which uh, is Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, used to be in regular years and in normal years and in years past. Uh, the Sweet 16 was on Thursday and Friday, and then the Elite Eight was Saturday and Sunday. This year, a little bit different. The Sweet 16 is on the two weekend days, and the Elite Eight are the two days to begin the work week, Monday and Tuesday. With the fi- And then, like normal, you'll have the Final Four the first Saturday of uh, the month of April, and then the National Championship that Monday, uh, two days later, But uh, which will take place in Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. But we got the Sweet 16 today. March Madness resumes today. Uh, you had first. You had first. You had the first four last Thursday. First round Saturday. First round Friday and Saturday, and then the second round uh, Sunday and Monday. So it's been a good little while, uh, you know, without March Madness. Essentially, that's for the most part. I would imagine all of you all out there have done nothing but watch college basketball all from last Thursday to uh, this past Monday and then you have a layoff of Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday a four day layoff and all of a sudden we're right back in the mix as far as uh, college basketball is concerned. The first matchup of the day, which by the time you are listening to this has probably already begun and tipped off, is between Oregon State Beavers and the Loyola Chicago Ramblers with uh, Sister Jean uh, still in the mix. Uh Oregon, their last time out, their last time out took care of business against Oklahoma State, which they knocked off Oklahoma State last Sunday night, eighty to seventy. That was a game that I screamed about, where or where Oklahoma couldn't chuck the ball off the boat into the uh, Atlantic Ocean, into the Mississippi, into the uh, Mississippi River on Sunday night. Just was just terrible, terrible jump shots, and from the free throw line was just terrible. Oregon State uh, continues to move on. They are the 12th seed in the. They are the 12th seed in the in the Midwest region of their bracket, uh, going up against uh, Loyola Chicago, who took care of business against uh, a team uh, a team that also didn't bother to show up, which bothered me a little bit more than uh, Oklahoma State not showing up, and that was Illinois last Sunday afternoon where uh, Kofi Coburn was not a factor. Their offense was non-existent, and Loyola Chicago essentially just played perfect basketball and with the 8-1 upset going up against uh, a team that many of us, including yours truly, had going to the Final Four and some the winning the whole thing, winning the national championship championship on uh, April the uh, April the uh, 5th 
April the 5th, April the 6th, whatever day it is, and they did not bother to show up as Loyola Chicago took care of business against Illinois 71 to uh, 58. And they and how they did that is because they had a phenomenal is because they had a phenomenal performance from um, had a good performance from that center Krutwig who went up against Coburn in that game and had 19 points shot 50% from the field had 12 rebounds 5 assists totally dominated the paint and had uh, four steals and had four steals on uh, and had four steals on defense so and Loyola Chicago they're the type of team that you know they're not they're not going to beat themselves their their opponent their opponent, you know, in this case is going to be Oregon State. You have to play perfect basketball, not turn over, not turn it over a whole bunch of times. When you get to the free throw line, your free throw percentage can't be any worse as a team than, you know, 75-80%. You get up to the free throw line, you got to make your free free throws cuz, you know, cuz that's essentially and especially that's what their game plan was with uh, Illinois, you know, is is to basically foul that uh, foul uh, other big guys inside and make them shoot free throws and and if you go back and watch the watch the tape look at the game Illinois left many a points on the table because of missed free throws in that game so they're they're not going to beat themselves they're going to play perfect basketball they're going to re they're going to re they're going to they're going to rebound especially that Crutwood guy their center got 12 rebounds in the game they're going to spread the wealth they're going to spread the wealth they're going to pass the ball around have good ball smoothment as I like to say of uh, shout out to uh, YouTuber Chris Smooth on that they're going to pass the ball around spread the wealth they're going to play defense you know four out of their five stars Starters, you know, had had you know had uh, steals. Clemens, their guard, had two steals. Crutwig, the center, had four steals. Norris, their other uh, guard, had two. And Will and Williamson, their other guard, uh, who scored fourteen points, also had a steal as well. So, so you know, they're going to they're going to steal. You know, they're not going. Loyola well, Chicago is not going to beat themselves. They're going to play. They're going to play the. They're going to play their style of basketball, and they are essentially going to make you. Have your A game in order for them to beat you, you know. They, the, um, you know, they and take and not. Granted, I don't watch. You know, don't, I got to be honest. You know, I'm not watching Loyola Chicago on a night and night out basis during the regular season. Before, from what I've seen of this program, the last couple of times that they've been in the NCAA tournament, is that they are not going to beat themselves. Their opponent essentially has to play A plus, top tier, near perfect basketball in order in order for them in order for them to uh, in order for them to lose they they do, they do not beat themselves they play their style of basketball the way they like to play it and essentially and, and most and as it has worked so far in this tournament it, they end up on the other side uh, coming out of the game with a W they absolutely dominated Illinois going up against so going up against Oregon State who you know that you know you know who benefited many a times you know that game was the, that get they should have lost that game on a Sunday night against Oklahoma State if Oklahoma I mean they lost by ten points I mean I mean if you would have counted as many times Oklahoma State missed that many wide open jump shots you know and got you know and 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 Oklahoma State stealing the ball from Oregon and had a chance to take the lead or tie the game or get them within one possession and they couldn't do it uh, Oregon State could have easily 
easily, easily could have lost that game. You know, they only won by 10 points. And, you know, it was about more than 10 points Oklahoma State left on the table, which could have had Oklahoma going up against Loyola this afternoon instead of Oregon State. But, uh, or, but Oregon State, essentially, they cannot make those same mistakes that they made against uh, Oklahoma, turning over the basketball, uh, leaving guys wide open for wide open threes and having wide open jump shots. Uh, they they can't they you know you know they they can't do that because you do that against Loyola Chicago Loyola Chicago is going to make you pay you know this you know so all so everything that they did wrong essentially in the Oklahoma State game last Sunday night um, you know turning over the basketball essentially keeping Oklahoma State around only for Oregon only for Oklahoma State to shoot themselves in the in the foot you know as far as missing jump shots and and making their own uh, careless mistakes of their own. They can't afford to do that against Loyola Chicago on uh, this afternoon. They can't afford to do that because if they do it against Loyola Chicago, Loyola is going to make them pay. Just go ask Illinois when when Illinois had issues. When Illinois had issues, uh, you know, uh, you know, shooting the shooting the basketball, and they neutralized Kofi Coburn. You got again to beat to beat Loyola Chicago. You you either gotta be you either have to have a better roster top to bottom, beat them that way. Or you have to play perfect basketball and not beat yourself, because because when you self-inflicted mistakes, Loyola Chicago has won many games in this tournament within the last couple of years, capitalizing on their on their opponent's bonehead asinine mistakes. That's uh, that's game number one. Game number two on Saturday uh, between uh, between Villanova and Baylor. That game's at five fifteen. On CBS, Villanova, their last time out took care of business against a uh, took care of business last week going up against. Uh, excuse, give me one second. Took care of business going up against uh, North Texas uh, and taking care of business against North Texas in an absolute blowout, winning eighty four to sixty one. Villanova, if you go ahead and you look at their side of the bracket, Villanova has had a pretty uh, has had a pretty you know, decent run of the mill at it um, so far in this tournament. They, you know, North North Texas, uh, excuse me, Winthrop. They took care of business minor handily against Winthrop. Uh, they neutralized North Texas in a game that that what that was not close from the tip. You know, so they have not been quote unquote battle tested at all in this tournament and 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 again I don't think too many people have Villanova going that far anyway and you would figure this is when it's going to stop when they run into big bad Baylor who is who has just absolutely been crushing the competition uh you know they capitalize off of uh, Wisconsin's uh, uh miss missing ill-timed turnovers in the first half and then Wisconsin and by the time Wisconsin got their act together in the second half the game was uh out of reach and was and was uh, already in possession of Baylor's to 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 have so or excuse, yeah in possession of Baylor's for them to, in possession of Baylor for them to win the game excuse me so they you know they took care of business against Wisconsin they beat the living stuffing out of Hartford in the first round and uh, I'd expect I'd expect a uh, you know I expect the Baylor to win by at least 15 points uh, to win this game by uh, by a good 15 points on uh, going up against uh, Villanova this weekend because um, 
because Baylor is just a team that is just that is just a force, an absolute force to be reckoned with here in the one seed in the South region. I think that I think this game is going I th- again. I think Baylor's going to win this game by good, um, by good uh, fifteen points if you ask me. Villanova's yet to be tested. Baylor went up against a decent Wisconsin team, not great, but pretty decent, and I think by far they are the best team in the in this bracket. And and I think and and to be quite honest with you, I actually I picked they are they are matter of fact they are my Final Four pick. So I'm not getting off the Baylor train now. I think I think uh, this game is going to uh, provide Baylor an easy ride into uh, the Elite Eight uh, on either Monday or Tuesday. And then end up playing uh, in the final four come next Saturday. But uh, that's game number two between Villanova and uh, Baylor. Game number three, uh, this a- game number three this afternoon is between um, is between Oral Roberts and uh, Ar- Oral Roberts and Arkansas. Oral Roberts, listen, they've had a nice little they had a nice little run. You know, they had no business no business losing to losing to Florida in the second round. Florida that game was there to be half of Florida and they uh, pissed it away. Uh they got lucky they got lucky as hell, gotta be honest, got lucky as hell to beat Ohio State in the first round. Going up against Arkan going up against Arkansas, who uh to, who uh nearly lost to Texas Tech their last time out. Honestly, if you ask me about this game, I would shoot. I I I'd 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 go Or Roberts because they are that because I because this year and this ridiculous in this uh, crazy season, I'd I'd pick them because I because it looks like to me that they are the uh, quote unquote Cinderella team uh, in the in this uh, tournament. But that fifteen versus the three or Roberts in Arkansas is going to be interesting. The last game of the night on Saturday on uh, on Saturday. Uh, Syracuse versus Houston. Syracuse last time out took care of business. Took care of business against uh, West Virginia last Sunday afternoon. Uh, near, you know they they were in control. You know I understand that the final score of that of that game uh, was uh, was close. I can give it to you uh, right quick if you care. Seventy five seventy two. They won by three. But watching that game, at least from my uh, vantage point, it felt like to me that um, that uh, that Syracuse was in complete control with that game. Uh, Buddy Bayheim, aka uh, Buddy Buckets, what a phenomenal talent he is! They're gonna have to have him have another game of his life and have Jim Bayheim uh, work his magic to win this game going up against the Houston team that had that had no business. Granted that I picked them, so I wasn't gonna scream like I said earlier in the week, but who had no business and escaped escaped that game by the hair of the chinny chin chin against Rutgers in the second round. Um, but I I think uh, I, I'm right I'm riding with the hot hand, and I think that's gonna be the Syracuse Orange. Give me, give me Jim and Buddy Beheim, arguably the two best guys that are going to be on the court and involved in this game at ten o'clock tonight. Give me, give me those two because I think they are going to be just flying, buddy. I expect the big game out of Bay, out of uh, Beheim, the kid, and I expect the Jim, the Hall of Fame coach that he is, to work his magic and get Syracuse to the Elite Eight tonight. But Houston, very, very fortunate that they're playing tonight because uh, because Rutgers choked a, a double digit lead 
and honestly had that game in the bag, left the rights, and allowed Houston to get hot late and absolutely steal, steal the game from Rutgers in the second round last weekend. Stole it. Game number one on Sunday between Cranton and Gonzaga. Look, Cranton has has uh, been off the charts. I totally underestimated them thinking that, you know, that path their pathetic loss against Georgetown in the Big East Conference Championship a few weeks back was uh, was essentially going to do that was essentially going to do them in. I picked U.S. Uh, University of California Santa Barbara to beat them in the first round. They came back to buy me in the butt. They took care of business against them, and they've been absolutely flying so far here in this tournament. I think their run's going to end going up against Gonzaga, who by far is the best team in this tournament. Number one seed undefeated yet to lose a game this season has just 28 and 0. Just been absolutely flying. Uh, they took care of business last time out against uh, against University of Oklahoma. That game was not a contest, and I think uh, Gonzaga's going to get the job done on Sunday afternoon going up against Carrington and expect to see uh, Gonzaga uh, go 29-0 and make it to the Elite Eight uh, next week. Game number two on Sunday uh, between Florida State and Michigan. Michigan uh, played a very solid basketball game against LSU against the LSU on Tuesday. Uh, was it Tuesday? Tuesday Mon no, it was Monday. I apologize. Uh, against Monday against LSU, very solid job. Jawan Howard and the crew. Meanwhile, Florida State beat the living uh, they beat the brakes off of uh, the uh, Colorado uh, the Colorado Buffaloes. This should be an intriguing matchup. Uh, Florida State, the four seed, eighteen and six, going up against Michigan, the number one seed and the only Big Ten team remaining in this tournament. They are the number one seed in their east bracket should be a very uh, intriguing matchup i'm pulling for michigan because i picked them uh in my uh, main bracket to win the national championship so i need michigan to get to that national championship so your boy uh can look like a hero come uh, the first monday of uh, the month of uh, april uh, the Monday after Easter. Game number three on Sunday between UCLA and Alabama. That game's at 7.15 on TBS. UCLA has just been on an absolute absolute tail or tear excuse me uh, beat uh, they took care of business against Michigan State to get into the first round and then uh, and then took care of business against BYU and beat Abilene Christian off coming off of their miracle win last Saturday night against uh, University of Texas they are now here in the sweet 16 um, but they are go running into a hot and I mean hot 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 Alabama team who uh, beat the crap out of Iona in the first round? Destroyed, destroyed Maryland 96 to 70 uh, to 77 earlier this past week. Shooting nothing but shooting nothing uh, but three pointers and just absolutely. And Alabama was just played absolutely off the charts impressive against Maryland earlier this week. They're riding into a hot Maryland team, and I th and I. Th Think me personally, UCLA's got their work cut out for them because this is one. This Alabama team is special. I mean, the way that they shoot, the way that they shoot jump shots is just—they are just absolutely impeccable. I think Alabama. I, I, I'm 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 pulling for Alabama uh, to win this game uh, and to uh, meet up with hopefully Michigan in the Elite Eight in the uh, Eastern Region.
region of uh, this uh, NCAA tournament. And the last game of the quote-unquote weekend, last game of the Sweet 16 round, is a West Coast matchup, which which is why you lift with the fact that it's starting at 9.45 at night because the two teams involved in it are two Pac-12 teams that live out on the West Coast. So that will be a 6.45 local time 6.45 local time uh, game between Oregon and USC. Oregon uh, absolutely just outscored, and that's no better other way to put it. They outscored and dominated off on the offensive side of the basketball, dominated Iowa uh, last Monday. He's putting up 90-plus points going up against Iowa. Luka Garza's 30-something point performance was not enough. Oregon has been flying throughout this tournament. Go ahead and look at Oregon. They, uh, let me see if I can find them on the bracket here. Because, okay. It took, uh, they did not play their first game, remember, last Saturday because VCU had a, uh, had a, uh, someone test positive for COVID. So they were automatically moved on to the second round. And their first game, uh, that they've played in this tournament against Iowa, like I said, they have absolutely destroyed them going up against the USC team who beat the living stuffing out of Kansas, beat them by 30-something points on Monday night against Kansas. I mean, that game was non-competitive from the very start, and USC beat the crap out of Kansas. It'll be an all-pack 12 matchup, 7 versus the 6. Should be a pretty inter interesting game between uh, these two uh, high-flying Pac-12 teams. So there you have it, your Sweet 16 uh, preview for the, uh, Saturday and Sunday winners of uh, of today and tomorrow games move on to the Elite Eight. And uh, come Wednesday, I will uh, recap those Elite Eight games for you. And, and we will look forward to the Final Four after, uh, after um, Tuesday. But we take a break. We put the college basketball to bed and get into a little bit NFL because the Ravens, for once in their lives, might have a receiver that will uh, aid their offense and help out our uh, guy, Lamar Jackson. Give you my thoughts on that. Coming up, this is the Armitellica TIS Podcast. Welcome back to the Amatelica TIS podcast. Switching gears now to the NFL. A little bit of off-season news uh, that transpired over the last uh, 24 hours or so that I want to give them two cents on. And that is the fact that the Baltimore Ravens have appeared after we've, you know, after about a week since free agency has started to get their star uh, quarterback, Lamar Jackson, some wide receiver help. Willie Sneed, he's gone. He's uh, goodbye to him. He is now a member of the Las Vegas Raiders, so they're going to need uh, someone to replace him, and they needed. And even if Willie Sneed wasn't going anywhere, he ain't a big uh, wide receiving threat anyway. I mean, the only time he, I can recall he ever being a wide receiver threat, uh, a threat at wide receiver, excuse me, was when Drew Brees was his quarterback when he was a member of the New Orleans Saints, but. But the Ravens get a wide receiver in Sammy in Sammy Watkins, and it was funny because I was planning on talking about 
had not Watson or Watson had not Watkins been signed, I planned on talking about how the Ravens, you know, have essentially they just can't get a wide receiver because it because the news broke over the last couple of weeks that ju that they offered Steelers wide receiver ju Juju Smith Schuster. Now I again why the Ravens would want to go near him, I'll never understand. But that's on him on that. They offered him more money, and he went back to the. And he decided to go back and play for the Steelers. And they offered T.Y. Hilton, who was a free agent for a short period of time, courtesy of the Baltimore Colts. And he literally, and I've seen reports, he literally was about to put pen to paper before the Colts called and said, hey, T.Y., we want you back. And, and he turned down more money from the Ravens to return back to his old team uh, in the Indianapolis Colts. They couldn't get Kenny Galladay. They struck out on him. He's, uh, I think, I believe he's a member of the New York Giants now. Uh, after uh, the bank, after the Ravens and the Bengals, as a matter of fact, were had you know were talks that those two franchises were looking to get Kenny Galladay, and then they lost out on AJ Green, who ended up getting out of the division, getting out of the uh, AFC altogether, and joining up with DeAndre Hopkins, uh, being uh, being uh, his Robin to uh, Hopkins' Batman. Uh, catching balls from Kyler Murray down in uh, Glendale, Arizona with uh, the Arizona Cardinals. Mar they lost out on Marvin Jones, uh, who also was a, a free agent formerly also of the Cincinnati Bengals, who was let go by Detroit. And they let Wolf Fuller go formerly of the... Uh, and Wolf Fuller ended up passing them by, former member of the Houston Texans. And they couldn't get Emmanuel Sanders... He went to uh, he went to go join forces with Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen up in Buffalo. So I was prepared in, before the news broke. I was prepared to come on here and say, well, "Why in the world can't the Ravens get any help?" You know, they they let uh, two two players that they went after, you know, and gave them more money. Ended up going back to their old teams, taking a pay cut. And Juju and T.Y. And then Galladay, Green, Jones, Fuller, and Emmanuel Sanders. Five, not great, but good, solid, serviceable wide receivers who's better than anyone that's on the Ravens roster right now. Didn't bother, didn't bother they, they, the Ravens couldn't bother, or not couldn't bother, but the Ravens didn't end up getting them. They went to other teams. So, and I was prepared to go on and say, like, what's going on? You know, is it the fact that, is it the fact that they see that the Ravens are, is an offense that's basically, you know, 80% run, 20% pass, and it's going to be, you know, they're not going to get as many touches, not touches, but as many receptions as they like, you know, because the Ravens are such a run-heavy offense with Lamar Jackson and their, and their running back mixed with Dobbins and the crew and, and you know, is it be, is it that the reason? Is it because is it because uh, you know the offense is because they don't like the offense with Greg Rome, which kind of intertwines into the. It's my first point, or I don't, I don't know what, or I don't know what it was. Maybe it was ego, you know. Maybe realizing that they weren't that they're not going to be the you know the quote unquote star of the team. It's still going to be you know Lamar Jackson, you know. But well, I well I can't say that because well I guess that third point kind of goes out the window because. Juju and T.Y. may be the, still be the, the quote-unquote guys with their respective organizations, but A.J. Green, he's third fiddle. To, he, not even third fiddle. He's he's the fourth quote-unquote big name, if not the fifth big name guy on the team because certainly it's it's certainly DeAndre Hopkins, the quarterback, Colin Murray, um, J.J. Watt, who they just signed, 
Buda Baker, and if Larry Fitzgerald ends up coming back, he's still on the market, Ravens, in case you want to pick him up. Uh, and, and if Larry Fitzgerald comes back, then that's five. A.J. Green is, is big-name guy, quote-unquote, number five, number six. So that obviously isn't the case. And Emmanuel Sanders is third fiddle to Stephon Diggs, and Josh Allen as, as the quote unquote big star on the uh, big star on the team. So that's not the reason, but it's maybe it's the fact that they don't like the office that the Ravens runs. Uh, whether it's the fact whether it's the fact that just the way they play in general, they don't like the idea that you know wide receivers want to get their amount of receptions and wants to you know they want to win, but they also want to get the ball as much as they possibly can in doing so. Is that the reason? Is you know they don't like the Greg Roman office, whatever it might be. So I was fully prepared to come on here and and dissect the reasons why the Ravens hadn't been able to land a decent wide receiver until they go ahead and they nab former Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Sammy Watkins for a one-year $6 million um, deal on Friday. Sammy, if you go back and look at his stats in 2020 with Kansas City, uh, he played. Uh, he only played. He only uh, played ten games for Kansas City. Caught uh, caught thirty seven catches for fit on fifty five targets. Average eleven yards of reception and only had two and only had two touchdowns in the game uh, or in the game in the season for Kansas City. Uh, but in tw- but in twenty nineteen the Super Bowl season he played fourteen games had a uh, fifty two receptions for six hundred seventy three yards and three touchdown catches. And also, I believe he had uh, one of those touchdowns in that championship game against Tennessee, which uh, was the nail in the coffin for Tennessee, and, and ended up getting Kansas City to their uh, get, winning, getting Kansas City to their first Super Bowl in uh, in uh, in uh, 50 years. And if you go back and look at his play, go back and look at how he's done in the playoffs. Which uh, which probably is the most important thing. He did. He played in the Super Bowl. He only had one reception for 13 yards in the Super Bowl. He was inactive against Buffalo in the championship game and inactive against Cleveland in the division round on the 17th. But if you go back in uh, in the 2019 playoffs, he uh, against Houston. He you know two receptions, 76 yards. Had a hell of a game. If you, that's his break big breakout performance and his big quote-unquote signature moment as you know being a member of the Kansas City Chiefs was uh, was uh, the AFC Championship game against Tennessee when they won uh, 25 excuse me when they won 35-24 he had 10 receptions excuse me seven receptions on 114 yards receiving and a touchdown and a touchdown catch and then of course in the Super Bowl he had a uh, six receptions for excuse me five receptions for 98 yards receiving and then in the Houston game he two receptions 76 yards championship game in 2018 against the Patriots uh, four receptions for 114 yards so he's had you know so he he fed well into Kansas City's office because you had Hill and you had Kelsey so you know if those guys are covered when in doubt Mahomes uh, where Sam Watkins get him the ball so he was serviceable in that offense you know with the Ravens I, you know who knows if it's going to be that because because he was kind of you know he was uh, he was kind of like their third wheel quote unquote you know if Hill wasn't you know if Hill and uh, if Hill and Kelsey aren't there get the ball to uh, Sammy Watkins while in Baltimore he's going to be the quote unquote number one guy um, which not saying it's a bad thing I mean it's a start you know he's you know he'll be he'll be as better than doing nothing at all 
But, you know, it would be interesting to see if he has that ability to be that number one wide receiver and basically be the leader and the Hollywood Browns of the world and the Devin Duvernays of the world have to follow behind his lead. That would be interesting because he's going to go from being, you know, the, the, third, the third option, the third target on, an, on a stacked, stacked Super Bowl championship offense such as the Kansas City Chiefs and going to the Baltimore Ravens, who, whose offense is the exact opposite. Sure, they run their fair share of gimmick of uh, of their gadget and gadget plays that the Chiefs like to run. As far as you know, with the jet sweeps and the power sweeps and the triple options and all that sort of stuff. But they run a totally different offense. You know, be, you know, considering that they like to run the ball, you know, eighty percent of the time and, and pass whenever it's necessary or pass if they want to. You know, if they're blowing their opponents out by thirty-five points and they want to pad Lamar Jackson's uh, stat records, a la their game against uh, Jacksonville in Week fourteen, Week fifteen. But it'll be interesting to see if Sammy Watkins has what it takes to be that number one target that Lamar Jackson can rely on when the Ravens get into situations primarily in the playoffs where they need Lamar Jackson to throw the ball and they need to throw the ball, you know, 99% of the time in order for them to come back from a deficit in order for them to win playoff games. That'll be interesting to see. They didn't give them a long deal, so if it doesn't work out in 2021, they can just cut the debt, you know, they don't have to worry about cutting them. The contract is, the contract is expired and they can just let Sammy Watkins can go somewhere else, but you know, if I'm the Ravens, I wouldn't stop at Sammy Watkins. I try to, I try to do, uh, I try to make a run at Larry Fitzgerald. I try to make a run at uh, at uh, Antonio Brown. I, you know, whether he comes back to Tampa's remaining to be seen. Russell Wilson has uh, made his request known that he wants uh, Antonio Brown a part of the uh, 2021 Seattle Seahawks. He and DK Metcalf. Um, they got to be able to run the ball, though. That's the only thing with Seattle. That's the only thing with Seattle. And the defense can't wait until essentially half the season's order for, over in order for them to get their act together. Their defense has to uh, play solid football from week one on and not essentially sleepwalk through the first two months of the season. That's the only thing with Seattle. But if they got Antonio Brown and he kept himself aligned, defense got got themselves. Uh, organized and they and they're able to run the football and Russell Wilson doesn't fall off a cliff midway through the season like he's uh, been accustomed to doing the last couple of years. You could see Seattle being a Super Bowl contender, but if I was the Ravens, I would not stop with Sammy Watkins. He's good. It's a good start. He's certainly better than Duvernay and Hollywood Brown put together, but I wouldn't stop there. I'd get I'd get a veteran presence, whether it be A.B., Lafayette, whomever. I'd see if I can get a veteran wide receiver that legitimately is a that legitimately is a number one threat and not a and not so much as a uh, Robin that Sammy Watkins was to Hills and Kelsey's Batman in Kansas City. I I, I you know Antonio. If you don't want to sign Antonio Brown, I understand it. I, me personally, I'd make a run to get Larry Fitzgerald myself. You need they the Ravens need not only do they need that number one threat and Larry Fitzgerald as he was all those many years in Arizona prior to uh, uh, Hopkins showing up, in which he kind of had to play second fiddle to Hopkins as far as the big time wide receiving threat is concerned. 
But I'd, if I was Ravens, I'd, I'd get Larry Fitzgerald. He's not going to ask for a whole hell of a lot of money because his career is, you know, he plans on playing in 2021. His career is winding down, and I know he wants to win a championship. The Ravens, if they catch a lightning in a bottle, can I could certainly see them uh, playing in the Super Bowl. A lot of things have to go right. You know, they'd have to get over the hump and beating Kansas City. They'd have to they'd have to get back at Buffalo, and then they, you know, and either beat Cleveland or hope they don't have to, or hope they don't have to, you know, deal with Cleveland in their playoff run. Hope that Pittsburgh falls on their face. Hope that uh, you know beat Tennessee again if they have to go up against Tennessee again, um, and or beat and or beat the Colts, and then of course, um, you know, so a lot of things that have to go right for the Ravens in order for not saying that they can't, but a lot of things that have to go right for in order for the Ravens to be a Super Bowl quote unquote contender. But I'd make me personally, I'd make a run at Larry Fitzgerald. You need a number one threat and I've and Larry Fitzgerald still has it after all these years. Um, you know, he's got plenty of experience, longtime NFL veteran. He's got that leaders he's got that leadership presence about him that, you know, that kind of anchor a locker room, something that the Ravens have not had essentially since Ray Lewis retired. You know, Joe Flacco was not it. Um, you know, Ray Rice got himself in trouble. Uh, they Torrey Smith, Torrey Smith went bye-bye. They traded Anquan Bolton right after they won the Super Bowl. You know, he's not, he's not it. You know, C.J. Mosley let go to the Jets. Matthew Judon's gone. He's with the Patriots. Uh, you know, Patrick Queen could be the guy, but he's still an up-and-coming, learning rookie himself, heading into his second year in the league. I'd get Larry Fitzgerald, not just because of the what, not just because of the on-the-field threat. You know, as far as him being an experienced wide receiver who, you know, who who still has it, who's going into the Hall of Fame. He's a Hall of Fame wide receiver in Larry Fitzgerald, and and always reliable and always dependable. But I'd also go to him because he's got that veteran presence in that in the locker room that the Ravens desperately, desperately, desperately are lacking and they need. The you know, Larry Fitzgerald's been around the block. He's played in the Super Bowl. He's played in a couple uh he's I believe he's played in two, two thousand eight and two thousand and uh fifteen. He's played in two conference championships, played in the Super Bowl, been in the league a long time. The Ra- the Ravens could could absolutely benefit from having Larry Fitzgerald on the team. Absolutely benefit. He and Watkins, and then catch a little lightning in the bottle with Hollywood Brown, revamp the offense a little bit, make it pass a little bit more than they regularly do. Ravens could be a dark horse to uh, to competing for a Super Bowl, but they need that veteran presence in that locker room, and Larry Fitzgerald provides provides that. Sammy Watkins is, is going to give it. To, Sammy Watkins is going to give it to you. Lamar Jackson, that's just not who he is. He leads He leads with his play. He leads by example. He's not going to be that guy that's going to ally like a Patrick Mahomes as much as I rag on him and his and his motivational speeches before games couldn't motivate me to take a piss on the side of I-95. But but I give him that. When you, you see tape, when the Chiefs, when the Chiefs, I'll out of Cleveland game. Or not the, was it the, it was either Cleveland game or the um, Buffalo game. It was Buffalo game. You know, when, um, forget his name. His name will come to me in a minute. 
when when he uh, when the guy muffed the uh, muffed the punt that Buffalo ended up recovering for a touchdown. He went on the sidelines and threw his jacket over his head and started pounding. Who was one of the first guys that walked over to him and said, look, shake it off, man. Shake it off. We got still plenty of football left. We're, we're in this game. It ain't over yet. We're just getting started. Pick your head up. Take your jacket off your head. Shake it off. Next play, move on. Don't worry about it. Come on, let's go. Who's first? First, one of the first guys who walked over uh, to, um, God, I forget his name. I know who he is. His name just slips my mind. And y'all are probably saying it as you're listening to it. But who's one of the first guys that walked over and said something? It's Mahomes. And as a result, Chiefs turned around. He got Witchman calling back back in the game part of the offense. Immediately, he and Andy Reid made sure to make it a priority to get him involved in the offense to let him know that that, that mistake you had on special teams was over and done with. You can't change the pass. You can't cry over spilled milk. First, guys, that was Mahomes. And as much as crap I give him, May not be a great motivational speaker, but he's a hell of a leader. And the Ravens don't have that. They don't have a guy that's going to walk up to Lamar Jackson or walk up to, you know, to uh, J.K. Dobbins or walk up to um, Hollywood Brown and say, look, that play is over and done with. Shake it off. Next play. Short memory. Let's go. We're still in this game. We can come back. We can win this game. And they need that desperately in playoff time. Because when, when the Ravens get themselves down in the dumps, again, I'm not in the stadium and I'm not on the sideline, but from what I get when I watch them on TV is that they is that when they get down and out, all they need is that one knockout punch to do them in and the game's over. And that knockout punch, and that knockout punch was, you know, this year was Lamar Jackson throwing a pick six and, and him getting injured. They don't have that. They need that guy that's going to rise up and it's going to light a fire underneath them and get them fired up when it looks like that that uh, all hope is lost and they might be down for the count in a playoff game. They need that. Ravens don't have that. Chiefs do, Chiefs do. It's Patrick Mahomes. Buffalo, I'm not sure who it is. Maybe it's Allen Dick. I'm not quite sure. But they, but, you know. But they, but they, but they, you know, the, the Buffalo is in the same spot just like the Ravens are, but the Chiefs have it. It's Mahomes, it's Kelsey. They got leaders. They got captains on that team. Frank Clark, Tyron Matthew. They got guys that are gonna get up in your face and say, "Look, shake it off. Don't worry about it." Part of winning a championship and putting together a Super Bowl team is not just guys that you have that are going to make the difference in between the white lines. It's the guys that you have that are going to make the difference in the locker room and on the sidelines when, you know, when going gets tough. Now, they, now, you know, they were nowhere to be found in the Super Bowl, but when stuff, but when it got tough, Cleveland game, uh, Buffalo game, many times during the regular season, the Miami game in early December, they had guys and leaders on that team that wanted to pick each other up and help carry each other's load, and 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 keep them mentally in the game, and not and not make sure that they get too down on themselves whenever they make a mistake that they veer that they uh, that they veer as costly in their chances of them winning a game. So I like the Sammy Watkins signing. They need to do more. I'd go out and get Larry Fitzgerald. They need a. They not only do they need a, a quote unquote solid number one receiver. 
and I think Fitzgerald provides that more than Sammy Watkins, but they also need a veteran presence, a veteran All-Pro Hall of Fame presence in that locker room, something that they have not had in nearly 10 years since Ray Lewis uh, decided to hang it up. And that's, and that's one reason why those Raven teams with Ray Lewis on it were so good. Because Ray Lewis was going to give you that fire and brimstone speech that was going to make you run through a wall. He was going to, you know, recite those Bible verses and, and recite those, uh, and recite those uh, parables from the Bible that, you know, that was, going to, that was going to light a fire underneath you that, was, you know, that, that wasn't, that wasn't going to allow his, uh, his teammates to get too down in the dumps on themselves. That, you know, he was going to give you that. He was going to get in your face and you know, yell and skim at you when, when you know when it when it uh, when the uh, opportunity uh, appeared you know when the opportunity presented itself. He gave you that. There's one of the reasons why Ray Lewis was a Hall of Fame player and one of the reasons why they won a championship in 2012. If you if you put the if you put that tooth if you put the current Ravens team in that game against Denver. Divisional round 2012 against Denver in minus five degree weather. Not a chance in hell today's Ravens team is winning that game. Not a chance. Not a chance. That 2012 Ravens team did. You know why? It had a veteran Ray Lewis. Had a veteran in Ray Lewis. Granted, he only had one good arm, and he was a shell of himself of what he was ten years prior to that get to that year that season. But, but leader, but Ray Lewis, the leader, Ray Lewis, the captain, Ray Lewis, the human being, was still in his prime form and fashion. Back in 2012, he might not have been the linebacker he was back, you know, in 2003 and in 2000, 2005, you know, during the, during the meat and potatoes of his all fame career, but his presence, his veteran leadership, was as high and was as great as it was back during the prime years of his foot of his uh, of his uh, of his career back then, and the Ravens have not had that since. And you can tell that it's lacking, and it's one of the reasons why, among other things, why they haven't gotten over the top. I like the Watkins signing, but take it from me, they need a Larry Fitzgerald. They need him. Take a break. Give my thoughts on Deshaun Watson. Coming up right after this. Welcome back to the Amtelic TIS podcast. Switching gears now to uh, Deshaun Watson. I haven't given you my two thoughts on that situation. Um, because, you know, I want to let it play out before I give my opinion. It's just been a complete, you know, a complete mess. But what my opinion here it is. And, and it's a pretty simple one. Uh, if, if these, if there's any truth to these allegations and if he's found quote unquote guilty within the court of law then Deshaun Watson A his rep A his reputation will be forever damaged because he's been a he's been 
I'll use this word. He's been projected as a as an all around great guy, class act, which is why everyone's essentially, especially in the media, has been carrying his carrying his ball bag and crying him a river as far as you know how he's essentially been suffering, quote unquote, in Houston uh, with the Texans. You know the ownership's been poorly. He's had to deal with you know Bell Bryant and trading away DeAndre Hopkins around this time last year. So, you know, so his reputation will forever be damaged if these, and these are lawsuits, you know, if he, you know, now Texas law states that he end up could doing a year jail time for this, if this ends up true. But for the most part, these are all civil lawsuits. Uh, these are civil lawsuits. These aren't, you know, lawsuits to get him, you know, indicted and to get him arrested for uh, sexual assault and sexual misconduct, stuff like that. But if the if if any of these lawsuits and it's been about a dozen of them, uh, if not more, so if these are are if these are held up true, it's going to be a, a, a tremendous damage to his reputation and to and to uh, his uh, and to his uh, public persona as who he is as a person as far as how he's held in the public eyes, all that sort of stuff is concerned. So that's going to be a huge hit. Uh, if there, if something, if anything does come out of this, the NFL is going to get involved and is going to suspend them for a mighty long time because ever since the Ray Rice situation, you you know, Ezekiel Elliott even, you know, he wasn't fed. People, you know, were moaning and groaning about Ezekiel Elliott, you know, about the situation with he and, and you know, and the cases with uh, he, and, he and some girl and that, and he wasn't found guilty in a court of law, but... You know, ever since the Ray Rice situation occurred back in 2013-2014, where the NFL looked, where the NFL got absolutely embarrassed and was essentially uh, humiliated and mocked across not just sports media but national media in general on 60 Minutes and and and, and just all you know, Good Morning America. I mean, like on and on and on and on and on. I mean, they were just absolutely just dragged through the mud for how they handled Ray Rice. You know, uh, you know, with giving him the two-game suspension when the video appeared and he, when he co-cocked his fiance with the left hand, my parents happened to be happened to be in that ho in that same uh, hotel in Atlantic City when it happened. By the way, uh, just a little tidbit for that, they happened to be in that in the ho in Atlantic City and in that same hotel that day that night when that Ray Rice situation took off or excuse me, not took off but uh, occurred. So the NFL essentially has learned its lesson, you know. You, you, you there. If there's anything in the media with you being, uh, you know, with you being tied to domestic violence, they'll even even if the punishment doesn't fit the crime, you know, even if the charges are dropped or if you're not found guilty and don't have to do any jail time in the in the uh, in the court of law, the NFL will still drop the hammer on you and you won't play a you know a good solid third or two thirds whatever it might be depending on the ramifications of the uh, of the uh, accusations you won't play the next season for a good little while just because of what they've learned uh, from the Ray Rice thing so they are going to drop the hammer if any, they might even drop the hammer if nothing comes out of it just because his name was involved with uh, sexual misconduct so the NFL has had a you know has had a very strict no uh, to uh, zero tolerance policy uh, um, you know as far as uh, as far as this uh, mix you know this personal misconduct stuff is concerned since the Ray Rice situation mind you 
But uh, so he he will you know he'll miss plenty of time he'll miss plenty of time. I understand, you know, the Molly Caroms of the world want essentially Deshaun Watson to uh, to get the book thrown at him. Molly, calm down. I saw that on social media this week. Her going nuts on first take. Uh, you know, Molly, nothing's happened yet. It's just been accusations. No, they ha- they have not met in the in the in the Texas courts yet to decide whether or not you know they, they were still getting allegations and all of this stuff. As of right now, is still hearsay. Calm down before you start chopping at the bit, wanting essentially to throw Deshaun Watson in jail for the rest of his life. Gee whiz. But anyway, if these are true and if, if something does end up coming out of this, Deshaun Watson is going to get nailed uh, by the NFL. And and you can, uh, and if nothing does happen to this, and if it's just people just trying to uh, tarnish his bad name, it's going to be one of the most uh, heinous, most atrocious, egregious character assassinations that I can ever recall of a uh, of a public figure and if and if nothing does come out of it you have to raise your eyebrow if you know and i hate to go miss the conspiracy theorists on you but you'd have to wonder if deshaun watson's if deshaun watson ends up getting his name cleared and all of this is just a bunch of hogwash and a bunch of uh fabrications You'd have to wonder, uh, you know, if this was an inside job by the Houston Texans organization, essentially uh, trying to keep Deshaun Watson from forcing his way out of town. Essentially, they made they paid someone off, or came up, or contacted someone to come up across with these allegations to essentially uh, neutralizing any uh, chances of Deshaun Watson getting traded to the Jets to. You know, to the Carolina or you know any of these teams that were in the that's that you know as of recently Denver were in the market of uh, you know, looking to trade for Deshaun Watson. So again, if nothing ends up coming out of this and all of this, you know, and Deshaun Watson ends up clearing his name, call me crazy and call me Mr. Conspiracy Theorist, but I'd look into that because because knowing this knowing this Houston Texans organization. You, you, Lord knows what new low they'll go to in order for them to, uh, you know, you know, in order for them to uh, have the way they've been a complete mess since uh, they've been a they've been a complete mess within the last couple of years. So, it, it, honestly, call me crazy and call me sorry, sorry, call me crazy and call me Mr. Conspiracy Theorist, but it would not shock me if they if they went through all of this trouble just to make sure that that uh, no teams would be in the market for Deshaun Watson you know, for essentially. With this, uh, you know, and ha- with this character assassination stuff, if he is indeed proven innocent, and uh, and he ends up getting his name cleared in the court of law, but if he doesn't, and if and if something ends up coming out of this, and he actually is found guilty with the with the sexual misconduct and the lewd behavior with these mas- with these massages from these Instagram models and these massage people. Well, he, a he won't get traded. He might as well just uh, you know when you make your bed, you lay in it, uh, Deshaun. So he nothing will happen to him. Nothing will happen to him. He will uh, you know so he'll be he'll get suspended, but nothing as far as him getting traded will happen. He'll be a Deshaun. He'll be a Houston Texan as long as you know until that contract expires. So he'll have nothing to worry about with that. And me personally, and I dis and. I hate talking about even prior to the sexual assault assault stuff coming out about him. 
I didn't want to get into this anyway because I feel like you know it's a lazy crutch for a uh, for a sports talk show personality and you know in the middle of February, middle of March, no NFL games to talk about. You know, prior to the NCAA tournament, you have nothing else to talk about about NBA except for NBA all hours of the day. So it's a lazy crutch. So I hated going there, but you know, just put away the sexual stuff. Just take the sexual uh, stuff away from just one away from it just one minute. You know, Deshaun Watson, and I'm all for, you know, a brother, player mobility and everything else, but it wasn't like Deshaun Watson signed this contract and then everything all of a sudden overnight went to hell. You know, he signed this huge contract extension with the Houston, Texas organization after, after, Deshaun, after, DeAndre Hopkins got traded for essentially a bag of Funyuns and a bottle of Mountain Dew. So he and after Bob Nair had passed away and the new regime essentially had had and their new and the new regime as far as using Texans organization is concerned had their chance to manifest their poorly uh, organizational tactics within the organization. So you know he signed this extension. You go back and look. He signed this extension before their kickoff game against Kansas City. He signed it before the season started. And and look, April, April, May, June, July, August, September. About five six months after Deshaun Watson was already traded. So he already knew what he was getting to. So you know, and I'm a Deshaun and I'm a Deshaun Watson guy and I'm a Deshaun Watson uh, fan. But I am not crying him a river because all of a sudden he re he suddenly realized that the Houston Texans organization is a complete trash heap and is a complete dumpster fire, ran by Muppets, you know, who are who have who are not going to win football games and, and are light years away from competing, uh, you know, trying to win Super Bowls. I'm not crying a river for him. You no, know, his, ch you know, he if if it was if it was that bad, Deshaun Watson had no business signing a contract. I know that sounds harsh. I know that doesn't sound quote unquote hip enough for you all, for most of you all out there. But sorry, I mean, you 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 make your bed, you gotta lay in it. You know, actions have consequences. If you know, he should have known that 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 uh, this uh, that the Houston Texans organization was toxic, that it was not ran properly. He should, if any, if and I came and I came on here and, and I said it, the time the time that Deshaun Watson should have gotten himself out of the Houston Texans organization was as soon as Bill O'Brien traded uh, traded DeAndre Hopkins for a bag of chips. I came out on I came on here last year and said it. He should have got he should have gotten himself out of Houston as soon as DeAndre Hopkins was traded for merely nothing. He should have did it then. Not not he should have did it then. Before the twenty twenty season started. Before Bill O'Brien got the axe and got fired. He should have asked for a trade then. Not when Bill O'Brien gets fired. Not when the team not when the team, you know, loses games and blows games left and right and blew the two games, Deshaun Watson being being partly at fault for one of them uh, against Indianapolis down at the goal line with less than a minute left to go in regulation. Not then, Deshaun. Not when you realize that that the, that the uh, team is is an essential dumpster fire and you have zero chance of winning a Super Bowl then. Not then. The time for him to get out of Houston was before Bill O'Brien got fired, was before the 2020 season started, and was before he signed that contract in September. 
I'm sorry. I may be I may be a rarity on this, and I may be in a uh, I may be you know alone on this or within the minority on this. But Deshaun Watson, you make your bed, got laying it. Actions have consequences. You knew what you were getting into before you signed before you signed a contract in September. And I don't hear any of this garbage saying, "Well, no, I didn't." Does your your head coach slash your inept GM Bill O'Brien traded away your number one target in DeAndre Hopkins for nothing last March for nothing, and that was after he blew a playoff game in which you all were up twenty something some odd points against Kansas City two months prior to DeAndre Hopkins getting traded. So I went here. Well, he had no idea. Yeah, you did. You 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 had some sense, Deshaun. You can't don't plead ignorance now. You know good and well that uh, that uh, Bill O'Brien, being your GM, was not setting was not setting up your team uh, for success. And you knew good and well what you were getting into when they deci- when they de- when Bill O'Brien decided and the owner signed off on it, decided to trade away essentially your best friend and your best target on your team. Your right-hand man, DeAndre Hopkins, traded him away for nothing, for nothing, last March. And I came on here, and I'm pretty sure I was probably the only one of the very few that came on here and said, if Deshaun Watson wants to salvage his career and wants to win anything, he needs to get, he needs to, he needs to get up out of Houston quick, fast, and in a hurry. He didn't do that. If anything, he did the exact opposite and, and tied his oats down in Houston, which was a big mistake. And then all of a sudden, when he, once he realizes what a big mistake he made, you know, sowing his oats down in Houston and and knowing that he was going to have to deal with this dysfunction, this this dysfunctional franchise for a good little bit, now all of a sudden he has Byron Morrison once out. No, 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 no. The real the real world and life does not work that way, you know. You know, you don't you don't get to decide. You know, when when it's like in a relationship, when you see the red flags. When you see the when you see that the red we see the sirens going off and the red flags being waved with just significant other, and 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 the go, and the golden opportunity presents itself for you to get out of for you to get out of that situation while you're ahead and while you know and while it's and while it's you know best for you personally and just it's the best time for you to to get out of that toxic situation that toxic relationship. You don't counter it by a few months later. You know, getting engaged and ends up getting married, and then once you're engaged, once you're married, all of a sudden you realize, oh, holy crap, what did I do? You know, th- th- this person's toxic. I can't spend the rest of my life here on earth with this with such and such a person. And then you and then you expect, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, I want a divorce. No, 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 no. You, you made your bed. You got to lay in it. You heard the tune. You got to pay the piper, Sean. You can't, you know, you can't, you can't, you know, te- you know, metaphorically speaking, put a ring on a Houston Texans organization when the when the red flags and the sirens going off saying, "Hey, this is not the team for you to for you to tie yourself down to for the ex for you know for a long amount of time." And all of a sudden you say, "Ah, screw it," you know, I love the Houston Texans organization, Mister Houston. I love Houston. And then all of a sudden, a couple months pass, you realize that you made a colossal mistake, you got buyer's remorse, and all of a sudden you want out. That's not fair. That's not fair. The time for him to get out was last March. Not not March of 2021, March of 2020. He should have found a way to cut bait. As soon as they let DeAndre Hopkins go out the door, and before Bill O'Brien got fired. Not after, before. 
before, before. It's, it's not fair. I'm I, again, and no one's crying a pity party for the Texans organization either, because you know it's 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 you know it's their own self-inflicted their own self-inflicted mistakes is why the organization is where it is right now. But again, and this is not even including the stuff that's going on with Deshaun Watson off the field. But I'm sorry, I may be in the minority on this, but I don't feel sorry for him. He he signed the contract after. DeAndre Hopkins got traded. If that wasn't a warning sign to him saying, you know, to them saying saying to him, you know, saying to him, you know, un you know, unspoken that this franchise wasn't it for him to for him to, you know, for him to uh, be a part of long term, then that's on him. If he didn't see the writing on the wall then when they let DeAndre Hopkins go for nothing, that's on Deshaun Watson, not on the organization. It's on him. He signed the contract. No one held a gun up to his head to say, you must sign a long-term contract with the Houston Texans organization. He took that among himself, among himself. And if he's got buyer remorse and if he's got ultimate regret because he now realizes that the Houston Texans organization is complete, uh, is a complete uh, dumpster fire, that's, that's his fault, not the organization's. He signed there. Heard the tune, got to pay the piper, made your own bed, got to lay in it. Actions have consequences. You can't all of a sudden just, you know, force your way out of town or force yourself in, out of a contract that you signed, that you agreed to, because now all of a sudden you've woken up and smelled the coffee and got your head out of the sand and realized that the Houston Texas organization is not an organization that you should spend the prime part of your career being a part of. You should have realized this last March, not this March, last March. And, and again, it's no surprise why, you know, and even, and even if he, even if he clears his name from this, which I hope he does, but if he clears his name from this and he's not guilty of these allegations, it's, it's, I look at it as God's way of telling him, look, you signed here, you gave him your word that you were going to be the franchise quarterback for the long haul, you signed here. You knew what you were getting into before you signed the contract, before the season started. Own up your end of the bargain. Shut up. Bite the bullet. And play quarterback for the Houston Texans organization. That's the way I look at it. Now, he's not, now he ain't going anywhere anyway. Because, you know, no team's going to touch him with these allegations. But even before these allegations... I'm not saying that you know, you know I you know, I have zero sympathy for the people that run the Texans organization, but it's completely unfair to them when Watson knew what he was getting into before he signed the contract, before the season started, about a, about months after they let DeAndre Hopkins go, and he signs a long-term contract talking about how much he loves the Houston Texans organization, then he wakes up and smells the coffee and sees the running on the wall and realizes that the Texans organization ain't about nothing. Now all of a sudden he wants to get he wants to get out of town and go to a franchise that's gonna put him up in the best position to succeed. No 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 don't work that it doesn't work that way and life doesn't work that way. This is ain't not all the time it's gonna be Burger King you're gonna have it your way made a order. No. You made your bed, gotta lay in it, heard the tune, gotta pay the piper. I'm sorry. I understand. I understand. It may not be a popular opinion amongst uh, amongst the uh, people out there as far as Deshaun Watson is concerned, but I'm sorry. 
He had his chance to get out, and that was last March, not this March. Made your bed, you got to land it. It's not, you know, he, he should have saw it, and, and it's not the Houston Texans' fault why, you know, it's not the Texans' fault that uh, he signed the contract because he didn't have to sign a contract extension. He didn't have to. He chose to. That No one held a gun up to his head and said, Deshaun, you must sign this contract extension with contract extension with the Texans organization. He took that upon himself. And the organization, not so much the organization, but the, but, it, but, his fan, but the fan base, more importantly, the fan base should not have to suffer and have to essentially let their friends have to see his franchise quarterback having to force his way out of, out of town because he, made it, because he made a bad deal. That's not right. Deshaun Washington should bite the bullet if he ends up surviving this. Should bite the bullet. Be grateful that he has a that he that he's got a contract with an NFL team and an NFL you know and that he's you know and unlike many of people who have been unfortunate throughout this whole pandemic and not be able to find work, he should thank God that he has a job that he has got an employer that's willing to pay him a good amount of money for him to do what he loves and and deal with it. I'm sorry. Other other times I'm willing to go to play. I yeah, but this is not one of them. This is Deshaun Deshaun Watts has no one else to blame but himself for essentially being a part of this dysfunctional franchise because he had a chance to get out and he chose to stay. And now all of a sudden, when the writing's on the wall and he's now all of a sudden now realizes that he's made a colossal mistake, he wants Houston to pay. When it's when 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 if anyone should be paying, it's him. Actions have consequences. That's not how the real world real world works, Deshaun. You have a contract. You got you signed it. Put your John Hancock on it. You got to live up to it. Your chance to get out of Houston is when your contract expires, not not when you freshly signed it and a con and a new contract isn't even a year old yet. And all of a sudden, I uh, went out. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. Take a break. Give you my thoughts on these NFL draft picks that have been uh, swapped and traded around within the last 24 hours. Back after this. To the Amatelica TIS podcast. <clears throat> Switching or staying with the NFL to close out the program. Uh, the bit of NFL draft uh, news and trade I want to get on the board here um, as far as the uh, NFL is concerned. The Between the Dolphins, the Eagles, the 49. The Dolphins, um, they, they uh, traded the, their number three pick to the 49ers for the number 12 pick, which then the Dolphins ended up trading to the Eagles. So, just to, this took place yesterday. Dolphins they get they have the sixth pick in the in the draft with multiple future first round picks, 
and they also have the 18th pick in the first round of this year's draft. Um, and then they traded the third pick to the 49ers for that 12th pick, first round pick, and the third round pick in 2022, and the first round pick in 2023. Um, and then they sent that uh, 12th pick, number 20, the pick number 23, and the 2022 first round pick to the Eagles in exchange for the number six pick in this year's draft and the number 56 pick in this year's draft as well. Uh, from the Eagles, um, so if you go ahead, so here's what, so here's, okay, so let me break it down to you like a fraction. To Miami, 2021, sixth, sixth pick overall, 156 pick overall from the Eagles, 2022 first round and third round pick from the 49ers, 2023 first round pick from the 49ers, to the 49ers, they got in 2021 a third, the third round pick from the Dolphins, and the Eagles got in for this year the 12th pick from the from the Dolphins via the 49ers, and a 20 and a 123 pick from for this year's draft from the Dolphins, and 2022 a first round pick from the Dolphins. So if you're scoring at home, your draft order come uh, come next month's draft will look a bit like this. Number one will be the uh, number one pick will Jaguars. Two will be the Jets. The third pick will be uh, the 49ers instead of Miami. Miami traded their Miami traded that pick. So uh, so uh, the uh, so the it'll be it'll go as Jacksonville, the Jets, the 49ers, the Falcons, the Bengals at five. Miami trades down to get pick number six from uh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia gets the pick number 12. Lions get the seven. Panthers get the eight. Broncos get the nine. Cowboys get 10. Uh, Giants get pick 11. Eagles get 12, like I previously stated. Uh, Chargers get 13. Vikings 14. Patriots 15. Cardinals 16. Raiders 17. Dolphins 18. Washington 19. The Bears 20. Colts 21, Titans 22, Jets get the get the 23rd pick from Seattle. That's the uh, Jamal Adams trade from last July. Steelers get pick number 24. Uh, Rams or excuse me, the Jaguars get pick 25. That's the Jalen Ramsey uh, trade. They get that from the Rams at number 25. Browns at 26, Ravens at 27, Saints at 28. Uh, uh, Packers at 29, Bills at 30, Chiefs at 31, Super Bowl champion Buccaneers at pick 32. So there you have it. Um, be interesting to see. We it looks like we all it looks like that the Jaguars going to draft Trevor Lawrence. So that looks like it's going to. So that's and it looks like that in the way the draft board is set up, it looks like that you're going to have uh, you know four quarterbacks. You're gonna have four quarterbacks go in the draft, and you know to start it off with uh, with Jaguars needing a QB. Jets look like they might be a, you know, Deshaun Watson. Like I said, it's probably out the window, so they might draft Zach Wilson, the quarterback out of BYU. Um, the Four Niners came out and said that they're not trading Jimmy Garoppolo, so either he's gonna be the quarterback for the long haul, or they or they are going to 
uh, have him, you know, be the quote unquote the Alex Smith to whoever their next Patrick Mahomes might be. Talks talking about maybe it's Mac Jones, maybe they, maybe Wilson ends up going to him. If the Jets don't get a QB, they, you know, they draft, you know, whoever, an offensive lineman, wide receiver, whoever. Um, so, and, and, then, and then this course, and then of course, there's going to be talks of the Falcons maybe getting a quarterback. If not, they could get a offensive lineman. But, uh, but you're going to have the Jags, Jets, uh, 49ers, Falcons, then the Bengals. If if the uh, if the if the Jets, 49ers, and Falcons all pick quarterbacks, you're gonna have the first four picks in the draft all be QBs with Wilson and with Wilson and Jones going, and of course Lawrence probably most likely to the Jags, and then the Bengals hopefully will be an offensive lineman, and they won't fall for the uh, and they won't fall for the uh, fool's gold and get Pitts. I, I I like Kyle Pitts. He's a phenomenal tight end out of Florida. Had a very had a very uh, good game, uh, decent game against Alabama in that uh, in the SEC championship game back in December, and had a very overall good season. But it ain't no good having all these weapons for Joe Burrow to throw to if he can't throw to anybody because he's you know he's on his back every single time he chops back the pass because he has no offensive lineman to protect him. I want offensive linemen for Burrow. You know the the uh, the threats. The, the the receiving threats are going to come now. There's going to be a quarter. There's going to be a weapon a la DK Metcalf that that's going to fall all the way. It's going to be a late round draft pick. It's going to be an absolute stud that Seattle absolutely stole in a draft a, a, a few years back. So they're all they're all those guys are always going to are always going to um, fall in their lap. And you know, and so I'm not worried about that. Joe Burrow's going to get his weapons. They're, they're good. They're eventually going to come free agency. You know, there's going to be other drafts. There's going to be wide. There's going to be standout wide receivers and standout tight ends. You need an offensive lineman. You need your tackles. You need your guards. I'm more focused on the Bengals getting help for Burrow via the draft with their offensive linemen rather than going out there and seeing the shiny new toy that looks great but ain't going to be no good if Joe Burrow is going, God forbid, you know, knock on wood, you know, he ends up, you know, hurt out for the rest of the season again. So I, so that's that's where that's my opinion as far as the bank as far as what I think the Bengals draft strategy should be. Whether the Jets and the 49ers and the Falcons take quarterbacks yet to be seen. Jets look like they might be able to shop Donald around. Who knows with that? 49ers, you know, they might be in that win now mode, a la the Chiefs with Alex Smith and try to compete and get into the playoffs and see what happens and compete for Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo and then try to and then in the meantime as soon as Jimmy G falls off. They have a quarterback that's going to pick pick up right where right where Allah uh, with the Chiefs and Alex Smith left off because it's funny because remember with the Chiefs, you know they were in the playoffs year after year after year with Andy Reid and Alex Smith, and then when Alex Smith dropped off, Mahomes, they got Mahomes up in there. Mahomes essentially picked up right from where Alex Smith left off and ended up taking the Chiefs to the promised land and winning them the Super Bowl, but. Who who knows where these uh you know where these quarterbacks Jones and Wilson are going to go? It looks like that uh, I'd be shocked if Lawrence be absolutely floored along with the rest of you all if Lawrence doesn't end up going to Jacksonville. But it looks like that he might. But you have uh but you have your draft uh it looks like for the most part up until now. You have your uh, draft order. Uh, you have your draft order set with uh, with the 49ers and the Dolphins and the Eagles swapping positions, and of course getting picks back. 
for a future dra- for a future NFL drafts. Uh, the Jet the Jets have the Seahawks pick for uh, in that Jamal Adams trade. They also uh, the Jaguars also have the Rams pick. The Rams are going to go a mighty long time without a first round draft pick because of the uh, of because of the Jalen Ramsey trade they made about a year or so ago. But that's where you stand as far as the NFL draft is concerned, and that is your program for this last weekend of March 2021. If you're new to the program and enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe, follow your boy on the uh, social media. At the J Shield, follow the show on Instagram at Amatelit underscore podcast and the show on Twitter at Amatel underscore it is. It's your boy Josh Shields. Enjoy the Sweet 16 and Elite 8 college basketball, everybody. And I'll talk to you Wednesday. Good show I got for you on Wednesday. Christopher Maddo Bruce will join me to preview the 2021 baseball season. But in the meantime, y'all take care. Stay safe. See ya.